I want to paint a picture for you, and, and let's see if you can relate. A young man extends a fistful of flowers across the countertop to the girl working at the ice cream shop. She blushes and she tries to hide her smile, but she can't. He asks her if after work he can drive her home instead of her friend. She nods. He'd first seen her in September at school from a distance in the hallway. He took him all the way till springtime to work up the courage to express his feelings for her. On the way to the ice cream shop that evening, he'd rummaged around in the garden behind one of the houses nearby, got the flowers. He's a high school kid. He can barely afford the ice cream. But now he's given them to her, and she says yes. And after work, they get in his car, and they listen to James Taylor. They're holding hands as they drive along. And she suggests a detour down to the river. And so they park, and they walk out onto one of the docks. And there, underneath the starry sky, they share their first kiss. Is this too much for church? <laughs> his mind, his, his world expands so that it's bigger than the night sky. All he can think about every day and every minute is her. And you know what they say about all good things? All that glitters, they say, is not gold. There's a day in that same school where she's walking toward him in the hallway and he says hello to her, but she doesn't seem to hear him. And when they pass, it's her friend who's walking behind who extends a hand with a note and he grabs it and opens it up. And it says right there, Kristen doesn't want to be your girlfriend anymore. And in that moment, it's like my heart... Did I mention it was me? <laughs> it's like my heart has been ripped right out of my chest. Like my entire world is come crumbling down in an instant. And now every single night, I drive in my car by myself, listening to that same James Taylor tune. Instead of smiling, I weep. And then I fall in love with Cindy Lauper's time after time. And I choose to play it time after time. I choose to do that to myself. And for one full year, I fill my own head up with rain, even when it's sunny outside. I do that. And I choose not to spend time with my friends, but instead to go off by myself and relive the pain over and over. It never crosses my mind that I'm responsible, but I am. And there I sit in sorrow for a year. The relationship had lasted for six days. <laughs> and I have become an expert in the habit of blowing things out of proportion. And we do that when we're in high school, but we do it when we're adults too. We do it with very small things, but we do it with really big things too. And what I want to show you this morning is that every time you take a step toward blowing things out of proportion with something small, you are engaged in a decision that you're making that hurts you unnecessarily. But then I also want to venture to say that even when it's a big thing, an all-consuming thing, that even still you are engaged in an activity which, strictly speaking, you don't have to choose. Because the truth about every person 
who's engaging in the habit of blowing things out of proportion is that what they need is to learn the discipline of keeping things in perspective. And I have some common wisdom this morning. And this is wisdom that can be applied by anyone. It doesn't matter if you don't share the faith that I share. And it's good for each one of us who will be tempted, not just as we're adults, but uh, not just as we're kids, but as we're adults, to blow things out of proportion. But then beside that, I want to venture to take a step further. And that is to offer not just good advice from common wisdom, but good news from the conviction around which Christians have always gathered. And it is a conviction that what God has done for the world in Jesus is so good and has opened the door to a future for anyone who will trust in Jesus, that no matter what you face in the present, whether it's small or utterly enormous, that it will not compare to the gift that is ahead of us. And I want to set that before you this morning to give you the gift of perspective for everyone who struggles with the habit of blowing things out of proportion. And the words uh, that I'll build this all on are not my words. They come from a man called Paul, who is no stranger to suffering, and I want to set his words up front, and then we'll dwell on this habit. They're his words that come in Romans 8, 18. And listen now, before I read, let me say this. I know that in a room with this many folks, there's such a wide array of faith and also of experience. And I know that some of you have lived through experiences that are so utterly grief-inducing that I can't imagine And if your defense now comes to say, well, he doesn't understand what I've been through, let me say this, I don't, and no one does. I just heard someone whisper, Jesus does. Why did you have to give it away so soon? (laughs) That's good. It's good. You already have this hope living in you. No, listen, I, I, I thought that was a perfect opportunity to say right up front. Uh, What you'll see, I hope this morning, is that Jesus does. And that can, and really, it it ought to change everything for your perspective. And that's what I want to give. So listen to the words that Paul laid out in Romans 8, verse 18. Here's what he said. Listen close. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. That's a statement which is a statement of perspective. It's a statement of perspective for right now, which is based on a hope of something that is coming in the future. And if it's taken to heart, it has the potential to change our experience of the present so profoundly that we no longer get dragged into the habit of blowing things out of proportion, but instead we're free to keep things in perspective now based on that future hope. And that future hope is not just good advice. It's based on a deep conviction about who God is and what God has done in Christ. And I know that not everyone shares that conviction, but I hope to unfold it this morning for you clearly enough so that you see what he means and so that you receive the invitation to trust in Jesus and thereby have perspective for the sufferings of this present that can radically change your experience of them. Whatever your experience of suffering happens to be, whether it is enormous and beyond what I can imagine or whether it is, which I trust is more likely the case, some small inconvenience that you will be tempted to blow out of proportion so it becomes a disaster even though it's a small thing. Do you know what I mean by that? It's most easily seen in children. Here, if you have young kids, 
I'll say two words, and you'll know what I mean. Homework time. Uh, only the ones who have, well, you didn't giggle because if you have kids in homework time, right now you're feeling anxious. Like, why do you have to bring it up? <laughs> right? And if you don't know what I mean, just, Michelle, can I invite people to our house tomorrow at around like 4.30? Just come over and sit around the kitchen table. If you come in and you don't see what's happening with your eyes, you would think they must be torturing their children physically right now. <laughs> there, there must be some form of a hot poker being pressed into someone's eyeball. It's that bad. And, and I'm talking about what it's like to have to memorize some vocabulary words or do some arithmetic, you know, some, some addition and, and to be timed in it. It's so utterly torturous that you would think our children's lives are nothing but misery, but in this moment what's happening is they are blowing things out of proportion. And if you're a parent and you know what that's like, and you're thinking right now, oh yeah, that's so awful. When my kids are complaining about their homework, it's like my whole life is ended. Then you can relate to them because you're also blowing things out of proportion. <laughs> and we do this when we're kids, and we do it in a hundred little ways as adults. We do it when we're driving and someone cuts us off. And we don't know what's going on for them, but we know that we want to strangle them. <laughs> or we do it when the internet isn't operating as quickly as we'd like, when our phone is not downloading an email, when it takes two or three seconds, we are furious. Our blood is boiling, even though that thing has to go up to space and back again. We never think of that. It's, like, it's magic. There's nothing connected, and yet still, I can talk to someone at a distance, but if my FaceTime is interrupted, I want to punch the phone out, and, and I'm furious, right? And, and we do it, when, when our spouse offers one single word of criticism and it's like we have a meltdown. Or when a friend disagrees with us about a political viewpoint and now we've got them in the other camp and we're, ready to, to, we're filled with disdain for them and ready to write them off forever. We don't ever want to see them again. And there are new, endless ways we blow things out of proportion. And every time we do, here's what I want to show you this morning. Every time we do that, we are filling our own heads up with rain and we don't have to. We are making a choice and it is a choice which harms us and it makes us unhappy and it's our responsibility. We're making that choice ourselves and then not only does it make us unhappy but it takes our eyes off of all of the good things around us and it makes it impossible for us to be good for the people around us and we're meant to be good for them. And, and each time we're strictly speaking we're making a mental choice that we don't have to make. We are replaying Cindy Lauper's time after time over and over again. And I like that song. But we don't have to suffer from it. So here, I want to take you uh, away from this text for a moment, from this text about suffering, and, and think for a little bit about dynamically what's going on inside of our minds when we are blowing things out of proportion. If you dwell on it, you'll see it just as clearly as I have, as I've thought on it. Here's what's going on. First, when we are blowing things out of proportion, we've engaged in this activity where one thing has become all things. We've got this one thing in life, which is bad, and then our attention has so narrowly focused on that thing, we've so zoomed in on it, that we miss that there are lots of other things. And then we begin to behave as if that one inconvenience, or that one trouble, or that one bit of suffering is all there is in our lives. You know, for instance, our spouse says to us, I wish you would help more with housework. Okay, that's a statement about one thing. And what we hear is, you are an utter failure as a person altogether, top to bottom. <laughs> and we react as if that's what's happening because that one thing has become all things. You know, or we get a performance report and the boss says, 
This area needs improvement. You are far behind where you need to be here. And what we read from that is, my boss thinks that I'm good for nothing in this organization. She is going to replace me any day now. And instead of going out to find another job, we're so paralyzed by the thought that we sit and sulk and we just waste away in that one negative line in the performance review. And I'm telling you, this happens. When we blow things out of proportion, one thing becomes all things. And when that is the pattern that we're in, the next thing that takes place, it always follows, is that narrowing in on that one thing, we, we, we make it look bigger than it is, so that small things become big things. That is, when I narrow my focus on this one problem and I miss everything else around me, I get myself close up to it so that emotionally it becomes much bigger in my life than it is in reality. And now I have pushed myself right up close to this small thing so it appears to me as if it is a very big thing. And now I invite the weight of that to increase and crush me. And that is my choice. I have chosen to come close so that it feels worse. Here, like this, when our children have homework to do, we always say, you can do it any time in the next four hours. And they always choose to put that homework at the end of those hours. And so if it's one hour, they've got three hours of free time. But you know what happens to those three hours of free time when they start focusing in on the one hour of homework? That, that time moves fast. It zips right past and they have no pleasure in it. And then when the one hour hits, that, that one hour stretches out so it feels like a full day because they're right up close to that terrible suffering. You ever see that movie, Office Space? You know when the, when the clock starts moving backwards? It's like that. It's like this small thing becomes an enormous thing, and then this is the third dynamic of this habit, and it is about time. When all I see is that one thing, my mind tricks me, and this temporary thing becomes a permanent thing. I get up so close that I lose sight of the fact that there are lots of other good things around me, and I lose sight of how big this is, and then my mind starts telling me, based on this present experience, your life is bad now, and it is always going to be like this. And so six days, six days of a relationship which ends becomes 50 weeks of persistent pain and suffering. And this kid sits in his car by himself, listening to sad music and just feeling bad because he's made one thing into everything and because he's made a small thing into a big thing and because he's made a temporary pain into a permanent thing. And what he needs, and listen, this is what every one of us needs, is to practice the discipline of perspective. Now listen, whether the suffering that you need to get perspective on is a small thing. Like the persistent miscommunication between you and a coworker. Or the frustration at home around this one subject and you need to manage that. Or, or a very big thing. The kind of thing that right now is forcing you to exercise all of your energy to keep yourself from breaking down. I mean that you're alone and the pain of the loneliness is unbearable. And that's the suffering you face right now. Or you've lost someone that you loved because when the diagnosis came back negative and you prayed for it to go positive, it got worse and they're gone. And now you're alone. Or any other number of sufferings that I can't know about that you bear into this place tonight, whether it's something small 
or big. And you notice I just said tonight? That's because time is stretching out for me. <laughs> Whatever it is, what you need is perspective. Because look at all three of these again. Look, they're different, right? They're all different kinds of activities. Turning one into many, turning small into big, turning temporary into permanent. But all three of them are, are really at root the same thing. All three of them are an immature response to suffering insofar as all three of them are failures in perspective. So pay attention, right? Perspective makes you think that this is the only thing, but there's always other things. And that's true of small and even great struggles. When you are feeling this is all there is, you are wrong and you need perspective. And then when this thing, which is feeling so utterly large to you. It feels so big. The truth about it is you're up so close to it and that's why it looks so big. What you need is some distance and once you get some distance, then you'll have perspective. But for now, you don't. You see this gigantic thing and the error again is an error in perspective and it's exactly the same with time because now is not forever. It may feel like it, but it's not. It may feel that right now is all there is, but that's never true. The future is always ahead of us. And we, strictly speaking, don't know anything about what it might mean in detail for us. And so all three of these require perspective. And I might say to you this morning, I might say this, get perspective, right? There's lots of other good things in life, and it's not as bad as you think, and, and there's always tomorrow. And I might try to end this message with that good advice. And I'll tell you what, it would be good enough for the small things, but I would also add, it doesn't do anything for the really big things. And I know enough to know that some of you in here right now are not struggling with small things, but big things. And I also have the great and glorious privilege of not just being a dispenser of good advice, I get to be the person who stands up offering good news. And that's completely different. Our good advice is me, with my best thinking, offering you the guidance that I can muster up. And that may be good, but it's nothing compared to the joy of being able to stand before a group like this and to know in my heart that you suffer in ways that I can't possibly imagine. And what I get to do instead of advice is offer the good news of the perspective that comes, listen now, not from a man, Paul, who's thought about how to encourage you with some positive thoughts, but instead with a man who knows as much about suffering as anyone else and who believes that because of what God did in Jesus Christ, that even the greatest suffering is nothing compared to the future that will one day be revealed when Jesus Christ returns and sets all things right at last. And some of you know enough about that hope to be encouraged just at the mentioning of it. And maybe others of you don't, but I I'm going to unfold it for you. Now look at the words that Paul wrote again. When he wrote this present suffering, he was writing to Christians in Rome who were losing their lives because of their faith. If you've been to Rome and visited the Colosseum, as I'm sure some of you have, do you remember when the tour guide pointed out that great big stone cross, which was for the martyred Christians? Those were men and women who were eaten alive by animals because of their faith for the entertainment of the Roman citizens. Can you imagine suffering like that? These were men and women who were torn away from their families and burned alive. They died because someone set them on fire in front of a crowd that cheered. And that was their suffering. And Paul knew about that. And these were... These are people who literally lost everything. And when Paul wrote here about their suffering, that's what he had in mind. And it wasn't just for other people, mind you, okay? If you read the, 
the whole letter of Romans, the one from which this one line is taken, if you read the seventh chapter, which comes right before this, you'll see that Paul is a man who knows the struggle of knowing the right thing to do, but not being able to do it nonetheless. That's addiction. Some of you are experts at that. You know what it's like to have this fiend that's on your back that says, I'll make it better. And you know it won't, but you do it anyway. And you hate yourself for it. And you know the right way to go, but you can't manage to go away from that. And some of you know that with substances that destroy and kill. Others of you know that in other ways that are secret. And you've not talked about it, but here they are. And Paul knew it. He said, wretched man that I am. The good that I want to do, I do not do. But the wrong that I know I shouldn't do, that's what I do. And so that's a man who knows about suffering for others and for himself. He wrote these words. And not only for these reasons, go on and read past chapter 8 in Romans. You'll see a man who is filled with anguish because his own people, the people of the Jewish faith, will not accept Jesus. And he thinks of their eternal separation from God and it's so vexing to him, he says, I wish I could change places with them. I'm in constant anguish over their refusal of Jesus. Here is a guy writing these words who knows a lot about big things to suffer. So what is it for you? Is it the pain of living through a divorce? Is it the anguish of feeling lonely and misunderstood? Is it the grief caused by your own failures, which you yourself are responsible for and you know it, and now life is really hard because of the choices you made? Is it some cruelty that another person put upon you that you must carry now? Is it the pain of not being able to see your kids because they live far away, or watching them go down a path that's really bad for them and knowing you can't do anything to stop them? Or the, or the distance that's growing between you and your spouse, or whatever it is. The guy who wrote these words knows the full weight of it, and he wrote, he wrote this, the sufferings of this present time, look how he continues again, are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. Here's a statement of perspective. Here's a man who acknowledges how bad it is right now and after acknowledging that misery, he says, so great is the glory which is to be revealed that it doesn't even compare to all of the suffering that we can think of or imagine. If we put it on one side of the scale, it'd be so slight that it wouldn't even register compared to this glory that is about to be revealed. Let me say a word about that. Let me say a few words about that. Let me say maybe a hundred or so words about that. The glory that is about to be revealed in Paul's mind, listen, it is the future transformation of all things that will come when Jesus, the Lord and Savior, our friend and deliverer, when he returns and finally sets everything right. It is the glory of complete and total transformation which will heal every wound and hurt with the touch of divine compassion and tenderness which will take away all of the pain and the misery and the anguish that is in your mind and memory now so that it can't even register when you try to think of it, it's altogether gone. It is transformation which is captured in images like this. Are you ready? Imagine this. Imagine, imagine an impossibly dry desert, and if that's your life, imagine it. An impossibly dry desert being transformed into the most lush and verdant garden imaginable so that there is all of the food and all of the health and all of the nourishment that you could ever need. Imagine a hillside covered with thorns and thistles. You can't even move in it, it's so deadly. Imagine that place being transformed into a field of wild flowers where the scent of myrtle 
in blossom is like fragrant perfume that reminds you of the goodness and grace and glory that had long been gone but is now all you can sense. Imagine a feast on a mountain where all hungry people are invited to come and there's a seat at the table for every man and every woman. There's a place for everyone and there is served the finest food, the richest meats, the, mo the, the most uh, beautiful and magnificent wine strained clear and everyone eats and enjoys their presence and it is unending gladness. Are you with me? Because it seems like you're not. Can you imagine it? Let me tell you that the, the claim of the scriptures is plain. That for every man and every woman who trusts Jesus, who looks at his or her own life and says, I don't have what it takes. This suffering and struggle is far too much for me. I cannot be the master of my own life. I see that. I'm inadequate. There is a, a, an ultimate and a divine out there and I surrender myself to God. Every person who chooses to do that can hope in that future coming toward them as a gift from God which lasts forever in such a way that the suffering that you experience now is as nothing. And, and those images that I've just described to you, they didn't come out of my own mind, they come from the prophets. The images of restoration and transformation. Listen, I want you to see them even as I speak of them. One place where they come clearly is Isaiah 66. And these are words written to men and women in the most grievous suffering we can imagine who had been ripped from their homes and in the exile put into a foreign land where they were prisoners. Listen to how God speaks. This is in verse 17 of Isaiah 65. God says this, For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. That is an image of transformation combined with forgetfulness. And you know how good it is when you can forget those memories which cause you grief. And you know how bad it is if your mind plays back to your own sin so that you suffer from it again and again. Or when your mind plays back to you the the cruel things that someone else has done to you. And you play it over in your mind and it hurts again today just like it did a year ago. But here, the image of the future that is set before us is the image where God transforms things so that memory goes away of every bad thing. The former things that torture you and make life miserable. You cannot even remember the pain that is behind you when this day comes. In verse 18, he continues, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, God says, for I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. Here is an image of God's new Jerusalem, the city that belongs to God's people, which is now expanded and opened up. And it is, it is a place where we are invited if we trust in Jesus and we're invited into a place of joy and delight and gladness unending. Can you think of what that might be like? Here, let me help you. Have you ever had an evening where you're hanging out with friends and you start to laugh together as you tell stories? Have you had that? And then you start to share your ideas about things and it's just so delightful to hear other perspectives. There's no arguing or fussing. You're just enriched by what each of the other brings to that time. And then you start to regale each other with stories that cause peals of laughter and then finally you look at your watch and it's three hours past when you were supposed to be home for the babysitter. And you don't even care. Well, you do care. I mean, if you're a nice person. Have you had an experience like that? Imagine that lasting forever. And if you can't relate to that, how about this? Do you remember the moment that you first 
You first connected eyes with your, your son or daughter when they were born. Do you remember that? And there, their stare, this brand new person in the world, as they stared at you, was so magnificent, it engulfed you, and nothing else at all mattered. And you couldn't believe how small their fingers are or their little toes there. And you counted them twice and they're all there. And the ears, the shape of the ears. And you hold that little one, not feeling. Can you imagine that lasting forever? Or if you can't relate to that, how about this one? There's a friend, a beloved friend or a lover that you haven't seen for too long. And then they return. And there you are in the same room. You don't have to say anything. It's a look on the face that says everything. And they come over and you embrace and your entire body changes. Your heart feels free. And it's the feeling of their arms around you in the warmth and you can sense the beating of their heart in your own heart. And nothing else matters. Imagine that being forever. And imagine that, even that feeling being nothing because it's so it so pales in comparison to the goodness of joy and delight. That is what the prophet is talking about here. And that is the promise of what God has for us. And listen to this. It's not a temporary thing. It's not something that ends. It's not something that you have to move away from, but it's eternal. And it's not too much to say that you are invited by faith in Christ to take that hope into your heart and let the truth of it give you what you need, which is perspective here, look at the last thing that I want you to look at in verse 19. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. And the reason that there will be no more weeping is because everything that causes pain will be gone forever. And, the, and he goes on to say, death, it will be no more. Aging will go away. Loss, the kind of loss that's gutting and tears your heart out, that will be a, a memory that also is removed. War, the violence that people meet out upon each other will be no more. There will be no more violence and no more cruelty. There'll be no more disease. There'll be no more hunger or crying or shame. All of it will be removed. And God himself will be with them forever. And it will be eternal goodness and joy. And every single one of you is invited to put your hope in that as you choose to put your trust in Jesus. If you do that, what you have is the gift of perspective. Uh, let's come back to the statement of Paul's one more time in Romans. I want you to see with fresh eyes again what Paul puts between the suffering of this present time on the one hand and the glory about to be revealed on the other. It's this phrase here. Not even worth comparing. Not worth comparing. That means very simply that you can add up all of the suffering not just your own, but of the whole world on one side, and when you place it behind, beside the glory that is to be revealed, this one will be so much greater, it's as if this one is nothing. And again, this is a man who knows a lot about the magnitude of suffering, but picture it for a moment. All of the grief and misery that you yourself have lived through on one side, when you place that beside the glory that awaits us in faith in Christ, it is as nothing, it is as nothing at all. If you're a visual person here, I have a, a picture for you. Uh, does a million dollars seem like a lot to you? Yes. Some of you are like, not really. If that's you, would you talk to me after? Like, we want to talk about giving at the church, okay? Right? But if, if a million is a lot, imagine I started to stack $100 bills on this stage, and they started to pile up. When I got to 43 inches high, that'd be a million dollars. 
That seems like a lot, right? Okay, set that beside the national debt. And and a million dollars is not even worth comparing. Because if I have to start stacking $100 bills to get to the national debt, the pile will be 13,000 miles high. And now you're thinking about the national debt. (laughs) But come back to this statement. Here it's saying, your suffering which seems utterly unmanageable and is truly great is 43 inches compared to the glory which is about to be revealed to us, which is over 13,000 miles high. And if that seems incomparable, well, the truth about this is that it's even more incomparable because we have this life which seems so utterly long, but next to eternity, it is and will be as nothing. And so here, my invitation to you, my invitation to you this morning has a few pieces. My my first invitation to you is to trust Jesus. If you have not done that, if you've never said in your heart, I am ready to give myself to him and see what he does with this man, this woman. I'm ready to trust myself into his care. I'm ready to turn away from managing my own life and say, I want you to be the manager of it. Then you are free in this moment to accept the perspective that no matter how great your suffering is today or tomorrow is, it will be nothing as compared to the glory that you one day will enjoy with those who have trusted Jesus. That's my first invitation, trust him. And then here's my second. For those of us who are willing to do that and who have done that in the past, my second invitation to you, and this is more of a challenge, it is to take this saying to heart and repeat it to yourself every time you are tempted to blow things out of perspective. And I mean that. Commit it to memory. When whatever it is comes upon you, the dysfunction in your marriage, or this terrible report on how uh, health is unfolding for you or for someone you love, or, or, or this failure at work, or whatever it is, bring this into mind. Say, I, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing to the glory that is about to be revealed. And whatever perfection is for you, whatever brings you joy and makes you think that would be too good to imagine, multiply that by infinity and then trust that that is the future that is there before you. Take this into your mind. That's my second invitation and challenge to you. Here's my third. Okay, are you ready for this? When someone who you know is suffering and they don't know this, be careful about saying this to them when they tell you about their own suffering. Uh, Do you know what I mean by that? When they open up and say how hard things are in life, be careful to say, oh, you should have a better perspective because after all, everything's going to be good in the by and by because they'll punch you in the face. (laughs) And maybe you shouldn't say it. Maybe you should listen to them and trust in your heart that it's true while they're talking and pray that God will help them know it because they need to know that. Uh, th- that's a, that's a, uh, another challenge. And here's the last one. And, and I want to be very clear about this one. Say it. Say it to your friends. Figure out how to say it to them. Really, figure out how to tell them with your actions and your own perseverance through suffering and also with your words figure out how to tell them it's okay because there is a hope before those of us who will trust in Jesus that is so magnificent that there'll be a day when you look back on this and it will be as nothing say it I remember 10 years ago sharing with a friend and I talked to him a lot about the anguish I was experiencing 
saying again to him how difficult it was for me. And this was a heavy thing for me to share. And he had listened a lot. And then there was a day where he said, Christian, I love you. And I want you to listen now. And then he read Romans 8, 18 to me. And I was sitting alone in my office and he was in England when he read it over the phone. And I wept and I broke down and God saved me. And so you should practice saying it to others. And then this is the last thing and then I'm done. I would like to invite us, Renaissance Church, to become a church that practices the discipline of having things in perspective and staying away from this habit of blowing things out of proportion by trusting in God's goodness over everything that we encounter. Whether it's the failure of someone else or our own missteps, I want to invite us all to be a church that keeps all of it in perspective because God is so utterly good and the future which he has promised us is secure, not because we're strong, but because he is so utterly gracious. And now I want to invite you all to join me in that. Will you come with me on that kind of journey? Yes, thank you. Let's pray that God will bless us as we walk in it. God, we love you. We love you because the gift that is before us because of what you've done in Christ on the cross for all of us is so utterly good that it can save us from the brokenness that comes from not knowing how good your gifts are. God, for every person in this place who carries anguish and is suffering because of the, the present challenges they face, I ask now that your spirit would touch their hearts with your healing power and bring the consolation that comes with the hope of what's ahead. God, give us good faith to trust in you so that we can walk the challenges of these days with heads held high, even through the most difficult suffering, trusting that there will be a day when we are free. And now, God, as we together hear the, the words of this song, which uh, the musicians will sing as a gift to us, I pray that you'd help seal it upon our hearts that you personally are our future that you stand before us in the days ahead as the one who is rescuing us and delivering us always because you've invited us to be your friend. God, bring faith into our hearts as the words of this song are sung now. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.